that sound? I don't know, but it sounds like it's coming from out back at the old house. We should have torn that thing down years ago. How many times did we try? We better look and see what's going on. It's definitely coming from the old house. The whole thing is shaking. Hey, you may get your wish. You could be doing that. Of course. Grundy, what are you doing? Grundy, stop. Why are you trying to tear up the old house? Huh? Grundy doing what you said. What? We definitely did not tell you to take a sledgehammer to the old house. Even though maybe we should have? Grundy, remember what you say about today's show, and he'd do it. What could we have possibly said that would have made you do this? Hammer House of Frankenstein. Oh, for land's sakes. There's a creepy old house Out in the hills A domicile of weirdness Horror and thrills Where you never Have to wait in line It's the house Of Franklin Stein A strange couple there and ghosts a peculiar place where the sun doesn't shine it's the house of Franklin Stein Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Supermates, the Husband and Wife Geek Cast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Chris. And welcome back to the Hammer House of Franklin Stein. Yes, we're once again taking a look at a classic horror flick from the legendary British studio. Last year, we covered Dracula AD 1972, which moved the franchise from the late 1800s up to the then modern day. This time, we're tackling the direct sequel, The Satanic Rites of Dracula. Yes, and The Satanic Rites of Dracula was released January 13th, 1974 in the UK and November 3rd, 1973 in the US, which means it came out here first, but it missed Halloween by four days. (laughs) So, yay. So... Directed by Alan Gibson with a screenplay by Don Houghton and music by John Kakavas. In the cast, we had Christopher Lee as Count Dracula, of course. Peter Cushing as Professor Lorimer Van Helsing, of course. Michael Coles as Inspector Murray. Of course. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, kind of, of course. William Franklin as Torrance. Freddie Jones as Professor Julian Keeley. Joanna Lumley as Jessica Van Helsing. Not of course. Yes, not of course, yes. Richard Vernon as Matthews, Barbara Yu Ling as Chen Yang, uh, Patrick Barr as Lord Carradine, Richard Matthews as Porter, Lockwood West as Freeborn, Valerie Van Ost as Jane, and Maurice O'Connell as Hanson. It's happening right now in London. New York could be next. Or Paris, or Rome, or Tokyo. It's happening right now to this girl. Perhaps it's your turn next. We are not dealing with ordinary criminals. The real force 
ways, more sinister, more obscene than any monstrosity you can think of. Lord of corruption, master of the undead, Count Dracula. Nothing is too vile. Nothing is too dreadful. You need to know the terror, the horror. What you want, Count Dracula? A last blaze of utter horror and violence, ghastly annihilation of an entire planet. Is this your own death wish? I call upon you to witness my supreme triumph. The scene opens, London, 1973. British intelligence investigates mysterious goings-on at Pelham House, home of Perg, Psychical Examination Research Group. There, Agent Hansen finds more than he bargained for when he infiltrates the compound. He witnesses prominent British citizens engaging in satanic rites involving the apparent murder and resurrection of a young woman. Captured and mortally wounded, Hansen manages to escape the armed motorcycle riding security and report his findings to his superiors before dying. With John Porter, the head of their department, being one of the five men Hansen mentioned, Colonel Matthews and Agent Torrance call in Inspector Murray of Scotland Yard. The men review the microfilm hidden in Hansen's watch and identify four of the men, except for one mysterious photograph of a door and nothing else. Murray, in turn, calls in someone who knows a thing or two about the occult, Professor Lormer Van Helsing. Van Helsing is intrigued and concerned about the ritual's emphasis on blood, and his granddaughter Jessica recognizes the photo of one of her grandfather's old friends and colleagues, Professor Julian Keeley, an expert in diseases and biological warfare. Meanwhile, intelligence agent Jane is followed and abducted by the motorcycle gang. She later awakens in Pelham House and receives a visit from none other than Count Dracula, who takes her blood. Van Helsing visits Keeley and finds his old friend a nervous wreck, going on about finishing his latest project. Over the course of their strange conversation, Keeley pronounces his allegiance to Satan and reveals that his research has led to the creation of a new, accelerated strain of the bubonic plague. An angry Van Helsing confronts Keeley, demanding who would have asked him to do this. Before he can answer, an armed assassin enters the room. He shoots Van Helsing, who drops to the floor. When he awakens with only a graze on his forehead, Van Helsing finds a very dead Keeley hanging from the rafters of his own lab. 
at Pelham House, Murray and Torrance make a house call, citing a disturbance from the night before and leaving a put-out Jessica with their car. Perg director Chin Yang denies any such disturbances coming from the house, but Jessica, defying the men, investigates on her own and finds Jane chained to the cellar wall. When she tries to free her, Jane attacks with fangs bared. Jessica looks around to see the room is lined with coffins, full of chained vampire women. When she calls out, Murray and Torrance rush to her aid and pull her out just in the nick of time. Torrance also tries to save a pleading Jane, but Murray knows a thing or two about vampires now and stakes her before she can initiate Torrance into their ranks. The trio barely escape the guards with their lives. The group reconvenes and put together clues that link Keeley, Pelham House, and their cult to the business developer and recluse D.D. D. Denham. Van Helsing suspects that Denham may be Count Dracula himself and the subject of the mysterious photographs since vampires can't appear on film. He theorizes Dracula is hoping to unleash a plague to wipe out the human race and by extension finally ending his own pitiful existence. The events are converging on November 23rd, the Sabbath of the Undead, when the powers of evil are most potent. Matthews, Torrance, Murray, and Jessica stake out Pelham House, watching from afar for any activity. Unfortunately, they find it when both Matthews and Torrance are shot and murdered, and Murray and Jessica are abducted. Van Helsing prepares to meet with a mysterious Mr. Denham by fashioning a bullet from a silver cross. Surprisingly, he is allowed an audience with Denham by the man himself. Van Helsing enters his penthouse, blinded by lights, with Denham sitting in the shadows. During their conversation, Van Helsing slips a holy Bible in amongst the paperwork on Denham's desk. When he touches it, he be- his hand begins to burn, revealing Denham is indeed Dracula. Van Helsing attempts to take his shot, but Dracula's remaining three acolytes seize him. At Pelham House, Murray awakens in the cellar and nearly succumbs to Yin Chang's hypnotic powers. Murray stakes her, and remembering what Van Helsing said about vampires' aversion to running water, turns on the sprinklers, destroying the chain vampire women. He makes his way upstairs and finds the security control room where he witnesses Dracula and his men taking Van Helsing to their satanic altar. Well, he doesn't see Dracula because he doesn't show up on film, but, you know. Mm. On that altar lies Jessica, waiting to become Dracula's vampire bride. The Prince of Darkness relates how his new strain of violent plague will be transmitted through his four horsemen, with Van Helsing replacing the dead Keeley. Van Helsing asks Dracula if he wishes to destroy the human race so he himself can finally die. Confronted with this truth, Dracula seems to struggle with his own immortality. But his followers are none too pleased to find they have been hoodwinked, and instead of receiving vampiric power, will be the first to suffer and die of the plague. When the clock strikes the appointed hour of midnight on November 23rd, one of the men, Porter, under Dracula's will, crushes the vial containing the plague. The effects are immediate, with boils and lesions appearing all over his body as he writhes in agony. While this is going on, Murray and one of the guards fight, resulting in a fire that spreads throughout the house. The infected Porter is consumed in flames, while Murray saves Jessica and Van Helsing, leads Dracula deep into the woods. There he finds himself entangled in a hawthorn bush, which was used to give Christ his crown of thorns, and which vampires can't abide. Van Helsing taunts Dracula to follow him, and the Lord of the Undead struggles to reach his enemy as the thorns painfully tear his flesh. Barely making it through to the other side, the weakened Dracula is staked by Van Helsing and dissolves into ash and dust. Yes. And when you were saying that, when we were recording, you were saying that uh, about the fire and the plague, what were you referring to? I can't help. You do it. You do it. <laughs> Burning purifies from <laughs> Twins of Evil. That's for Dr. Ange. There, there you go. You. I can't help but that's literally what I thought when we were at, I had to stop and re-record like, that section because I'm like, ah! That's what I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Peter Cushing callback. 
so this one obviously picks up right where Dracula 80 1972 took off with the same writer, the same director, and much of the surviving cast of characters from the last film. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one participant returning under protest was Christopher Lee. He balked at the original title, Dracula is Dead and Well and Living in London. He told his fan club he was, quote, doing the next one under protest, I think is fatuous. I hope they, the audience, realizes I am struggling against insuperable odds on occasion to remain true to the author's original character. Uh, Lee had made such statements to his fan club about every previous Dracula sequel after the initial one, Dracula Prince of Darkness, and always cited that Hammerhead James Carreras would guilt him into playing the part again so Hammer wouldn't go under and hundreds of Lee's friends and colleagues wouldn't be put out of a job. It just so happened that this was the last film that James Carreras oversaw as the head of Hammer, and also Lee's last Dracula film for the studio. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this is it for Christopher Lee and Dracula. Uh, or at least officially, uh, third Dracula. He was in some movie after this called Dracula and Son, like a French comedy or something like that. So We start out with an opening title sequence moving through the streets of then-modern London with a great theme. It's very much a 70s cop espionage theme with an added tinge of horror. But I miss James Bernard's legendary Dracula theme, you know. This isn't that bad. But I guess they both kind of, because that one goes, dun, 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 dun. So it's going, Dracula. Right. And this goes, Dracula. Dun, dun, dun. You know, so they yeah. both, they both like say Dracula in the, you know. Yeah, which if is, you were to sing it out. Yeah, if you were to sing it out. So it's kind of, it's that whole Superman, you know, that thing, yeah. you, you know, the John Williams thing, so. Uh, composer Kakovis also wrote the score to another Lee Cushing collaboration, Horror Express, the previous year. That film also featured Telly Savalas, and Kakovis went on to write the theme to Kojak, which Rob and I just discussed on Power Records, and they actually use that theme on the Power oh, Records. Oh, there you go. So it all comes back around. Horror Express is a really good movie. We should do that at some point. Uh, there's an odd silhouette of Dracula in the lower corner uh, and when the titles start, he's really tiny. But as it progresses and it's going over the streets of London, he grows larger and at the end engulfs the screen. Maybe someone looked at the sequence, the title sequence, and said, this is a horror movie? Right. And where's the blood? Where's Dracula? So they added the silhouette. I don't know. <laughs> but it is kind of weird. Yeah. It's blinking, you'll miss it. At first you're like, is that is that an error? What is that? Is that is that like a burned-in image on my screen? Or oh, something? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We start off right with a satanic cult, so you're getting what you paid for, kids. I mean, it literally says it in the title. The Satanic Rites of Dracula, yeah. I have to say, not everyone finds the same body types attractive, but Hammer is known for their curvaceous beauties, and this vampire chick they're mock-sacrificing needs to eat a sandwich or stop by a blood bank. Bless it. Yeah, she's just not... No. Yeah, she's not of a piece with the Hammer glamour. Well, she might be Voom, but she's not Vava Voom. That's right. <laughs> she's no Ingrid Pitt. No. Yeah. <laughs> she's completely nude, so there's not even any titillation here. Hammer's like, we know what you want. Here it is. You know, at this <laughs> point, you're like, <laughs> this is what you came for, or for some of you. So, uh, Pelham House is an in joke since Hammer's head and Carreras' home was called Pelham Place. Oh. Okay. So they have a little, tr- little yeah. fun with the boss there. Uh, the captured agent Hansen is played by Maurice O'Connell, who has a lot of British film and TV cred, including a storyline on Doctor Who, which was titled Frontios, which featured the fifth Doctor, Peter Davidson. There he played a character named Cockerel, which is interesting because he witnesses a ritualistic death of a cockerel or a chicken here. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's kind of weird. 
In fact, for the British poster, artist Tom Chantrell originally painted a dead chicken in one of Dracula's raised hands and a knife in the other. But Hammer asked him to remove them. So Dracula looks like he just scored a goal now. He's just got his <laughs> arms like, yes! You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Hansen, Hansen manages to break his bonds, kills one of the guards, but why doesn't he steal his Sherpa vest that all of them are wearing so he kind of blend in? Well, you have to think. He's also under a lot of physical duress. He's just gotten a living crap, you know, kicked out of him. So he's not, you know, thinking clearly. Yeah. So we're going to hand it to that. That's true. So why does Dracula employ what seems to be a motorcycle gang? I mean, were they really leaning into that Hell's Angel thing or something? (laughs) You have to think during that time, like you said, you know, during the 70s and stuff like that, that was something that was seen as motorcycles were the big thing. So yeah. I think that's where that comes from. Yeah. As your enforcer types. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, you know, and they were like, they were literally hired to be like uh, security, like at that Altamont uh, concert where that guy was killed, the Rolling right. Stones and everything. So, yeah. So maybe it's got something to do with that. Yeah. Some of the action at the beginning is quite violent and shocking, even for a Dracula film, because Hansen makes his way to the compound's gates, and one of his colleagues takes out a few of the motorcyclists. He puts a bullet right through the helmet and mouth of one, and we get a nasty blood splat in the visor. I know. It's like, whoa. I mean, that was... (laughs) Well, and I will say this, and this is just later on. We have this, and you can tell the FBI agents are good shots. Whereas the motorcycle guys are not yeah. in the room. But well, they're not FBI because they're British, but yeah, I get well, you. Well, you know what I meant. Yeah, you I, know. Know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, British intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're they're like the 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 motorcycle guys are like stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm like, dude, he's literally in the same room. There's two big targets. Yeah. And it glances off of his forehead. <laughs> Bless it. <laughs> and again, you know, Ray at least. Targets one on one. You go for the biggest target. You incapacitate him with a torso shot. Then you shoot for the head. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. What? <laughs> I did like that another one. Don't the, piss me off, dude. I know. I did like that another one of the <laughs> the motorcyclist is taking off his bike, which crashes into the gate, which opens yeah. it. Yeah, that was really. I mean, it was like, hey, twofer. Convenient. Yeah. You really get the impression. That Matthews and Torrance are much more concerned about getting info out of Hansen than his continued existence. Oh, yeah. They don't care. <laughs> they, They're like, come on, dude. Give us what we want. Yeah. The doctor even seems put out by this. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like, you guys, are you a little concerned? He's, and he comes back and he's like, he's like, he's dead. You know, like, good work, guys. He died. You know, yeah. like, thanks for the, the concern. Yeah. yeah. At least Jane shows some sympathy, which makes her fate that much more worse. But <laughs> well, we'll get there. Okay. 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 We'll get there. Uh, Torrance is played by William Franklin, no relation. Spells his name a little different. Who has tons of British credits as well, including early hammers like Quatermass Two and The Snorkel. He did a ton of British TV, including The Avengers, which this movie has a bit of the vibe of. Yeah, yeah, I can see that a little bit. And just about everybody on here appeared on The Avengers at some point. And apparently a lot of them were in the Pink Panther movie series, too. I didn't, oh. I didn't really note that, but a lot of them were. So. Okay. Yeah. Matthews is played by Richard Vernon, who had one hell of a year in 1964, appearing in both A Hard Day's Night and Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. He, was an imp- he has an impressive CV beyond that, including Gandhi. And for Hammer, he appeared with Cushing in Cash on Demand, which is a movie I have never seen that I hear is really good. 
that I need to watch at some point. It's, is it horror related? No, it's a it's like a it's like a crime movie that takes place at Christmas time. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We see the ritual out of order with earlier scenes in the flashback as Hanson is telling them right before he dies. And uh, we see that the uh, the sacrificial victim is really into chicken blood being poured on her. She's really getting ex- it. She's really getting excited about that. It 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 pushes her buttons. We'll put it that way. It's just, you do you, honey. That's just you know whatever. Don't try that. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I, that, that's what I'm. <laughs> <laughs> House of Franklin Stein after hours. Yeah. <laughs> no. Then we're reintroduced to Michael Cole's Inspector Murray, who we met in the last film. Coles is the only actor to play the same character twice in any of the Dracula series other than Lee and Cushing. So he's the only recurring character. Uh, so in the cult, we have General Freeborn, Imperial General Staff, uh, Security Services Minister John Porter, Landowner Lord Carradine, and Nobel Prize winner Professor Julian Keeley. A right upstanding group. Mm-hmm. Except they're not. No. <laughs> so... Which is the case anywhere you go. Yeah, well, yeah. And this is kind of, in a way, this is similar to what Hammer did in their uh, movie, which we have not covered yet, Taste the Blood of Dracula, because they had some, you know, very well-to-do uh, Englishmen of late 1800s that were secretly involved in all this these debauched things. Mm-hmm. And then that Lord Courtly got him into a satanic ritual, which revived Dracula. Right. So, you know, so it's, it's, this is, this is a little, this, this series is already played in this sandbox. And of course, in the last movie, there was a the big ritual mm-hmm. with dig it kids, you know, that and all that, you know, so. <laughs> as Murray, Torrance and Matthews review the photos, we flash back to the ceremony and then making an inverted cross on their forehead with the girl's blood. This is while Chin Yang damns them. How does this sound good, like a good idea to any of them? I know. You're damned to the seven levels of hell. It's like, oh, that yeah, thanks. <laughs> yes. That's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, people that are in search of power, they'll do anything. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. I love the bit with the photo of nothing but a door. Uh they think Hanson took a bad shot, but you know, like the hundreds of the ones you take on your phone, like, you know, you took a picture of your pocket or something yeah. like that. That's what they figure Hanson did. <laughs> but nope, Dracula was in the shot. He just didn't show up on the film. So uh, we get to Jane being followed and abducted by the gang. Now, I'm sure you have something to say about this, right? Oh, like tons. Okay. Well, go ahead. What do you guys say? What the crap? Why would you drive into a secluded area when you've got people chasing you? Go right in the middle of Trafalgar Square and sit there. And, you know, she's a secret agent. You know, she should have, you know, I'm sure that she has some kind of gun on her. Take it out and shoot the blankety blanks. (laughs) I mean, lethal force, people. I'm sure she's got a license to kill, too. Yeah, or she's at least got some amount of training or something. Right. I mean, she just sits there like a big dumb duck. Oh, here, kill me. I'm helpless. (laughs) (laughs) So, but some questions I have. Sure, and I'll answer them. That's a good good point. I mean, I, you know, plus, I mean, well, we'll, let's just while we're. She's in a freaking car and they're in a motorcycle. Hit the suckers. Yeah, I mean, they kind of. Back up. They box her in, but she, like, stops. I mean, I would just be, like, putting it in reverse, putting it in drive, putting it in reverse until I got out of there, and I'd run them over. Exactly. Just run them over. Exactly. 
They're in motorcycles. And, and yeah, and, well, when they get on foot, just run them over. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's what I didn't I do. mean, she literally, there's nothing, her car doesn't stop, stutter or anything like that. Yeah. Once they're off the motorcycle, run them over. But, on the, you know, even a bigger question, how did they know about her? Did... They torture info out of Hanson, like who he worked with. True, right. Did they just wait outside of headquarters looking for a woman? Did they know she was a secret, you know, intelligence agent or intelligence worker? Did they know that? Or did they just, like, happen to just, like, oh, there's a woman. He'll like her. He's into brunettes this week. You know, I mean, I, I, right. I, 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 you know. I don't know. But it's like, by taking her... They bring more on them, you know, right. than they, why abduct her when they could have abducted any mm-hmm. woman, you know. So, it's, it, it's not really explained. So, Jane is played by Valerie Van Ost, best known for several of the carry-on comedies and appeared on The Avengers and, as we like just about everybody else, and Space 1999. Mm-hmm. So, she's got some genre cred there. Uh, we actually see the girl's death and resurrection after Murray and Torrance visit Van Helsing. This flashback goes off and on for 24 minutes into the film. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, just keeps, they keep just showing more of it, more of it. It's kind of, it's kind of weird that way. It's very non-linear. So, we see her knife wound seal up, but we'll later learn she is a vampire. Right. But if that knife is silver, mm-hmm. of course, they do work? remove it. So, if they remove it, then I guess it would seal back up. Right. right? According to what your lore, lore is. is. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Because the movie we watched last night, the girl died on a uh, blade. Uh, yeah. And they had to, re- I'm assuming they removed it. Right. They might not have, but, you know. That was silly, by the way. That movie, you didn't like that? No. Daughters of Darkness? No. You don't Con- get to pick again. <laughs> I thought you would like that because it's Elizabeth Bathory and everything. No. No, didn't like it? Okay. No. <laughs> okay. We won't be covering that on House of Franklin. No, we will not. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> back to this movie. Of course, Peter Cushing is back as Van Helsing, and we know for certain this is the same Van Helsing as we saw last time, Lorimer. According to how you look at it, Cushing could have played two members of that family in total, or possibly three or four. Yeah, true. Depending on like your your, your timeline, your eighteen hundreds yeah. Van Helsings. Are they one guy? Or are they two guys? Or are they three guys across the different right, movies? Right, right, right. So yeah. As always, Cushing brings a level of authenticity and authority to the proceedings that no one could match. You fully believe this man has an encyclopedic knowledge of the occult and has had many encounters with it. Yes. I mean, he just sells it. You know, he always He does. does. He yeah. does. Van Helsing dismisses Murray's idea that this is just a typical black mask. All sides point to an ancient ceremony centering around blood and vampirism. And so, you know, who else are you going to call when you got vampires? Yes. Right. Not Hugh Jackman. Uh, Torrance finds it hard to believe honorable adults would be into this. He could believe kids who were out for kicks, but that was the plot of the last movie. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Van Helsing mentions the president of England's own Hellfire Club, which of course is the basis for the X-Men villains, and that in turn was the basis for the name of the role-playing group on Stranger Things, which has now made a cottage industry out of unlicensed long sleeve t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. uh, and John Byrne and Chris Claremont got their inspiration for their Hellfire Club in the X-Men from an episode of... The Avengers. Yes. And when we talk about the Avengers, we mean John Steed and Emma Peel right. Avengers. Not, you know, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man Avengers, obviously, you know. So, the British Avengers, yeah. Van Helsing smokes like a freight train in this film. Did you notice yeah, that? Oh, I'm... You know, you literally could make a drinking game 
out of, you know, okay, he's lighting up, take a drink, take and be blitzed by the end of it. And if he lit up somebody else's cigarette. Yes. I mean, I understand why they're smoking because of what they're dealing with. To a point, right, right. But it's, and, and Peter Cushing was a big smoker. I mean, and apparently he wore gloves so he wouldn't have like uh, nicotine, nicotine stains. stains on his hands when he smoked ca- casually. He oh, wore gloves. Oh, really? Yeah, because he didn't want them to show up in camp because he, well, I mean, he's props Cushing, you know. Yeah. So he's got his hands in the screen all the time doing stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, he says vampirism is more addictive than heroin. But is it more addictive than tunnel leaves? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask Karis. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jessica brings them tea. And is it tunnel leaf tea? Is it tunnel leaf tea? <laughs> I'm sorry. I started it. Uh, see last episode. And despite Murray recognizing her warmly, she's got a new face. Uh-huh. Uh, Stephanie Beecham was unavailable, so the role is played by Joanna Lumley. She had appeared in the Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and following this was best known for starring roles in The New Avengers, where she was the Emma Peel type. I think her name was Purdy, and she was the replacement Emma Peel character, you know. Hmm. There were different There were different females. There were always John Steed, but there were several different female agents oh, on the okay. show. Emma Peel's just the most famous. In fact, Honor Blackman, Pussy Galore, was the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but she was that character. Well, not the same character, but she filled that role. Okay. On the new Avengers. And she was also in the series Sapphire and Steel. And then she hit it big with Absolutely Fabulous, which she's probably most known for now. She also provided voices for James and the Giant Peach and The Corpse Bride. Oh, who was she in those? I, she was either, in The Corpse Bride, she was either his mom or her mom. Oh, br- okay. I can't remember which one. Okay. I have to go back and look. But, you know, yeah, she was one of the mothers of the couple to... I love that movie. To wed. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. We should co- totally cover that. We could. Yeah, yeah, we could. Yeah, there you go. We later learn it's been two years since the last film, continuity-wise, and boy, Jessica sure has matured out of her hippie phase, hasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> of course, her group, as she called it in that movie, is mostly dead. Yeah. So when she... I think the only other one that survived was, well, the one monk, the kid that was dressed like a monk, I don't think he died. And then the one girl that um, was also in The Vampire Lovers that was a maid, oh, she yeah. survived. But uh, the rest of them are all dead, yeah. including her boyfriend and yeah. Johnny and, and Carolyn Monroe and the the black girl. They were all, yeah. I can't think of her name. They were all, they're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, jeez. So, <laughs> Oof. Uh, so which Jessica do you prefer? Definitely Stephanie Beecham. Really? Yeah. Why? Wow. I don't. I don't know. I think just the way that you could see the relationship between her and Van Helsing, mm. and, and there wasn't that connection that you saw between mm. Lumley and and Cushing. Yeah, she almost almost acts more like his um, like his assistant. Yeah, like there's his, not there's not the like familial. a secretary he's yeah. real fond of versus. His granddaughter. Yeah, that, that's that. what I don't like about it. I don't like how that, but that might have been how they were told to portray it. But I'm just saying, I don't see that relationship there. I don't think they wrote the scenes to portray it in this one. You well, know, the other that's one, what I'm saying. You yeah, know? In the other one they did. Yeah, yeah. But so. that's what I, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know which one. I, I kind of like that. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the character evolved and changed. I, I mean, there was there were parts of Stephanie Beecham that were, you know, I mean, she was great in it. But right. There was just like her character was just like, get a clue, girl. What are you, you know? Yeah. I mean, in parts of it, but I but mean, also in this one, Lumley's just stupid. Here, let me go straight into danger, so the big man's kind of, you know, I'm gonna run straight into danger. But when I get into the least little bit of trouble, how about me? 
I'm like, if you're going to run straight into danger, chick, be able to back it up. Well, I don't know if it was the least amount of danger. Let's let's get to that in a minute, but we'll see. Right? I'm just saying. I get saying, what you're saying. Yeah, I got uh, But Jessica. I, I have no patience for women. I mean, and I realize it's how it is, blah, blah, blah. But they portray women like, you know, if they want to go look for danger, great. But be prepared to go look for danger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Be Gamora. Yeah. There <laughs> you go. Yeah. Jessica rats on Van Helsing uh, being friends with Keeley. He says he was going to tell them later, and I believe he would have if he suspected anything odd. But it is kind of funny that he doesn't like come out and say, I know this guy, you know, mm-hmm. right off the bat. So Van Helsing visits Keeley's research offices and, uh, he can't get anyone to answer the door, so he looks up at the windows, and for a split second, I thought he was going to scale the outside of the building. <laughs> Even at his age and frail health, Cushing could probably still do it, because the year before, he wrestled David Prowse in that monstrous makeup he was in in Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Yeah. So he was like on his back, just riding around on top of Darth Vader, you know? <laughs> just... <laughs> And I know Matt David Prowse, he's a big dude. Just, yeah. <laughs> I was his gopher. You know, yeah. you know that. But oh, yeah. Yeah, David Prowse uh, came to, the, he's not in this film, so why am I talking about it? I don't know. David Prowse came to our comic book shop when I worked at the, uh, in Moorhead, Kentucky, in college. And uh, he was our guest for like two different times. Yeah. And I was basically like his gopher, go get me. And somehow I managed to not get down there when he was down there. I think I had class. I never got to meet him in You never person. did get to meet no. him? No. Oh, wow. Okay. That's and I, I just couldn't get my schedule yeah. to work out because I, I, I thought you know, he was, I was a, working too. I thought so. he was a really nice guy. He was really, he was a really nice guy. He was really super proud of, I wasn't as big of a hammer fan back then or I would have bugged the crap out of him about his hammer rolls. Yeah. Like vampire circus and, you know, monster from hell and things like that. Uh, but uh, he was really proud of being the, the green cross man, the superhero that like promoted uh, uh, child safety and crossing yeah. the street and everything. That was the thing he was most proud of more than Darth Vader. Yeah. And so yeah, it was cool. So what did you think of uh, Professor Keeley? Eh, you're a typical idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Man, he's a nervous wreck. I yeah. mean, he, he, Freddie Jones can play the hell out of a confused person. Yeah. I mean, he, he can. He also played Cushing's unwilling and very sympathetic experiment in Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. A uh, different Frankenstein film. Uh, Jones has an impressive resume of British and Hollywood productions, including The Elephant Man, he was in a string of 80s genre duds that are now considered cult classics, including Kroll, Dune, The Black Cauldron, and Young Sherlock Holmes. Oh. So, I mean, he was in, like, every movie that bombed that people like now, he was in in the 80s, pretty much. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that was a great movie. Why didn't it go over? You know, it was, you know so. It's a great scene with uh, Jones vacillating between being frustrated with Van Helsing being there and Cushing playing a sympathetic friend who was looking for information and growing increasingly more concerned. Because mm-hmm. in one minute, he barks at him, like, for picking up the glass of the... Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, would you please stop that? And then the next minute, he's going, I got it finished. I don't... I just don't time. You know, it's just he's all... Just, you know, I mean, he's a mess. Uh, which, I mean, based on what he's doing, we'll find out in a minute. You can understand why. Uh, then we cut to Pelham House and find Jane locked up in a room similar to Hanson. Uh, she... She's been roughed up with her clothes torn and cuts on her face. It makes you wonder what they did to her. Yeah. I mean, it's like, ugh. Yeah. Then we get a mist coming from around the door, and the door banging like it's about to burst open. And I knew this was Dracula. I remembered that this was Dracula, but I half remembered he appeared out of the mist creeping under the door, 
like like Lon Chaney Jr. did in Son of Dracula. Mm-hmm. No, he just throws the door open. He must have a fog machine with him or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not sure we ever saw Christopher Lee's Dracula Return to Mist. I don't think so. I'd have to go until he gets killed at the end. Well, but, but I'm saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and the star of the film shows up 32 minutes into it. Yeah. But I would argue here later, we'll get to it, he shouldn't have showed up here. But I'll make that argument later. Okay. And Jane is into it. I mean, this reminds me of the scenes of Dracula seducing Lucy and Mina in the first film. Yeah. You know, a a nice bit of full circle here. So the bite is more violent because we actually see her reaction, which we didn't in those films. And it's both painful and honestly orgasmic. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I still question why they kidnapped her. I mean, it just seems like a pretty risky move to further involve British intelligence. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, just, here, let's have more attention on this house. Because Dracula's being subtle and playing this long game over two years' time. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to blow it by getting, you know, he's thirsty, but he, oh, I, it's like, oh, she looks like a fine vintage. Grab her. You know, or something yeah. like that. I mean, you know, so. <laughs> Back to Keeley's, and he drops all pretense and tells his friend that evil is the only real power, and he should do like he has and worship Satan, who will grant him immortality. Do you think they consider Dracula Satan himself? I don't know if they consider Dracula as Satan himself or his agent on Earth. You know? Yeah. And Lee, he had a problem with them. Like, in other films, they kind of would reference that, you know, tried to link Dracula being like, satanic or satan or you right. know and he kind of had some problems with that because he felt like that was just going too far so i'm you know that's probably another reason he wasn't too happy doing this right but yeah so keely has created a new strain of bubonic plague by accelerating it with radioactive neutrons and its effects are immediate causing flesh to rot off the bone sounds fun mm-hmm. <laughs> what i have issue with this whole thing that plays out at the end about the, this bubonic plague. Oh, okay. Okay, well, we'll get to it at the end. Okay. Put a, put a pin in it. Put a stake in it. <laughs> <laughs> Van Helsing gets to slap him around a bit. It's not a very good slap, though. It's no. Kinda, it's kind of weak. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's... Yeah, it's kind of pansy. They should have done a, a, a better take, because, you know, Cushing was able to, even at that age, I think he could have still pulled oh, off yeah. a better one. Yeah. But then, a true shocker, Van Helsing gets shot in the head. I know. <laughs> but again, like I said, I mean, how can they be in a room? There's only three people in the room. It's a small room. And he still freaking misses him. I, he turned his head right as he shot him, I guess. But again, if they, here's the thing. Yeah. They obviously were in the room long enough to set Keely up to commit suicide, quote, quote. Yeah. But... They didn't take the time to check and see if the body was, you know, not dead. Or just put another Another bullet bullet in him. Yeah, that's just sloppy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry. Again, if you're really going to kill somebody, torso shot first or leg shot to incapacitate them, then you shoot them in the head. Well, I mean, that's what you get when you're hiring non-union labor, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, these these motorcycle standards. These motorcycle gangs. They're more into their fashion. They got to wear the Sherpa vest. They got to wear the Sherpa vest. They got to, you know, they, yeah. I don't know. I got to say, though, I mean, I started to say that. Well, why would they wear a Sherpa vest? How is that? Da, da, da. But Daddy, back when he was younger, he was actually out, and I don't know if I've ever even told you this story, out when he was hunting with a friend. 
And he had a big Sherpa jacket on. They were hunting. It was in the winter. And his friend was climbing over a fence. His gun went off and hit Daddy in the back. Oh. And the Sherpa jacket caught it. Oh, geez. So I wonder if that's part of the reason that... People it's like, like a fashionable uh, bulletproof vest or yeah. bullet deterrent vest. Yeah, but I mean, seriously, that happened to Daddy. And he was like about 18 or 19, something like that. Good Lord. Yeah, that was, you know, he was, you know, he was out hunting and he was with a buddy and the buddy was, you know, Daddy had already cleared the fence and his buddy was climbing the fence and the gun went off. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And, and the Daddy had on a Sherpa jacket and it caught it in his back. Wow. Ugh. That was, you might not have been here. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, think about it. I know. Because Daddy, you know, was 44 before I was conceived. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm. Ugh. Well, back to the grazing part. Sorry. You're okay. I read enough Batman comics to know that Van Helsing was just grazed, but for a minute there, it just made you wonder. Oh, I know. I was like, <gasps> did they just kill, you know, I know, because, you know. It's not quite I as mean, sh- shocking as Baron Meinster biting Van Helsing, but it's close. But what? Right, but I mean, I, I was going into this, I'm like, wait a minute, isn't this the last one in this particular series? Yeah. Could they just, I mean, I thought, they killed it. I, well, you know, they have Jessica and Murray to pick up. That's what I'm saying. They, I thought it was a, you know, it yeah. was on the table. Yeah, it, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Uh, Van Helsing awakens to find the plague petri dish is gone and Keeley hanging from the rafters. Now, that that was pretty shocking, too. That they, oh, yeah. And they used his phone. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they used, back when phones had cords, that's what they used. Yeah. Well, you know, use what's, I'm surprised they didn't use his tie that was, like, uneven. His tie, he had the little skinny part, like, was hanging down yeah. longer than the fat part. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, so I know you had to love how Murray and Torrance told Jessica to stay with the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes sense because they're trained police. But why did they bring her Why did they bring her? If they weren't going to involve her. We're going to bring you to where this uh, agent was, you know, tortured and, and, and he d- suffered from mortal wounds. But uh, just stay with the car, will you please? You know, <laughs> it's just not... Well, just stay at home. I mean, what? she's not a trained agent or anything. No. I mean, what? you know, it's, I don't know. Chen Yang isn't very forthcoming. She chalks up the disturbance last night to hooligans on motorcycles. Uh, well, when you hire a motorcycle gang as your only security, it's going to get noisy. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm going to say. Uh, actress Barbara, Barbara Yu Ling also went by Barbara Lee and appeared in Hammer's war film, The Camp on Blood Island. And like nearly everyone else in the cast... The Avengers. If this this is a drinking game. Every time we mention the Avengers, take a drink and you'll be sloshed by the end of this episode. Yeah, there you so. go. And of course, Jessica snoops around and manages to get in by opening a cellar door that ironically has a little stake in the lock. You yeah. know? <laughs> Weird place to put vampires. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does notice the electronic eye at the bottom of the door. Yeah. So she steps over it. But And remember, that's a callback because at the beginning, that's how they realized... Hanson had escaped. Ha- because he stepped through it. Yeah, but that does explain why it was easy for her to get there with all the hell's... in with all the hell's goons around. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they they watch the security footage and that's apparently it, so... And she finds Jane chained up. Of course, she doesn't know Jane, but it's a woman chained up. Yeah. So, you know... Uh, Dracula has learned his lesson from previous films, including the first one. He's not letting his concubines roam the house. He keeps them chained up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, <laughs> he keeps them, he keeps them on, he keeps them locked down, basically. Uh, Jane's head is turned away from her and Jessica checks her pulse. But if she's a vampire, would she have one? 
Maybe she hasn't turned all the way. Maybe not, but if that's the case... Right, I know. Then I know. what happens to her isn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Jane was briefly hypnotizing Jessica? She stares at her, starts rubbing her hair. Then she bares her fangs, and that shocks her out of it. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, because you think she'd be like, what are you doing? Get off my hair. You know, it's like... <laughs> then the other brides pop out of their coffins, including our sacrificial girl from the opening. And there's four in total... One looks like Penny Marshall. I know, you show me. Taste the blood of Laverne DeFazio. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do it. Uh, they claw and grope at Jessica, but they can't quite reach her while she's upright. They tear at her clothes. I'm not sure the scene is filmed as effectively as it could be because a few shots of the brides clawing directly at the camera seems a bit silly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it lost me a little bit. But Lumley is selling the terror anyway. Yeah. I mean, she's she's freaking out. Which I mean, who would? You know, uh, Murray and Torrance hear Jessica screams and rush down to the cellar just as one of the brides is about to bite her. And I'm kind of surprised they stopped because Torrance has his gun pulled. But what's that good going to do him if right. it's not silver? I mean, it's like you know, why are they scared of? Why are they scared of them really? Because they're chained, I guess. I, I don't know. Um. I do like how everyone is just kind of shell-shocked by this. No one expected to find a basement full of vampire women. You know? no, no. I mean, yeah, Jessica runs over to Murray, and Jane calls to Peter, uh, to Torrance, who she calls Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned his first name that way. Who rushes to help her. But Jessica blurts out, Stop him! She's a vampire! And I love how she says that. <laughs> <laughs> a vampire! <laughs> She's like the ex- the emphasis on the bomb, you know. Yeah. Um, he manages to hold her back, but he can't break free as she's trying to bite him. So Murray workshops the solution in his head, and it seems to take a while. Hold on one minute, I'll be right back. He gets in his car, drives to the lumber yard, picks up a board, goes home, uses a hacksaw to cut into a steak, drives back, then he stakes her. Yeah. No. <laughs> but but the thing is, it's not quite that bad. I know. I know. I know. He actually just breaks off one of the lids of the coffins. But it does seem a bit prolonged. Mm-hmm. But what were you going to say? <laughs> I, well, I'm going to tell you when we get down to it. Hold on. Go ahead. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Still, the effect is really nice, and you really feel sorry for Jane. I mean, she didn't deserve any of this. No. I no. mean, it's really bad. It's Plus, long ago, Hammer dropped the stake equals a return to innocence like they did in Horror Dracula, Brides of Dracula, and Dracula Prince of Darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, every time somebody was staked there... Their face turned back into a serene, beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. innocent. Even even uh, uh, Baroness Meinster, yeah. you know, after she was put to rest. It's just pitiful here. Yeah. It's just, you know, sad. So, tying things to our other show, JLU Cast, DCAU head honcho Bruce Tim drew several Hammer-inspired pieces published in his book, Naughty and Nice, The Good Girl Art of Bruce Tim. One is a piece that combines characters and scenes from Dracula AD 1972 and this film, including Murray with his makeshift stake, the motorcyclist, the sacrifice, and Van Helsing with a gun. He also drew Jane chained to the wall, pleading for help with an exposed breast. Yes. Uh, though, though that book, I thought, you know, I did not realize it was... Uh, <laughs> I bought that book for you, but I did not realize it was that... When I thought they were talking about naughty, I thought, you know... Oh, it's naughty. Yeah, I was like, oh my. It's naughty. (laughs) Did not realize that. Don't uh, don't leave it laying around when your kids are around. That's all I got to say. I've kept that book under lock and key, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when Andrew was a teenager. Yeah. Apparently the staking is cut from some video releases. Oh, so okay. they they I don't know what they do exactly. I guess they show them like going toward her and then it just starts going, ah, you know, but yeah. 
They escape, of course, and make it back to the now-bandaged Van Helsing's house where things start to come together. Howard Hughes, like recluse, mogul D.D. Denham, back Keeley's research group, and Keeley and the other distinguished cult members make up the board of directors in Denham's company. So, uh, they're starting to suss things out. Cushing gets one of his great vampire monologues as he introduces the idea that Denham is Dracula. The camera pans over to the drawing of Dracula we saw in the previous film. Why does Van Helsing keep that hanging on his wall? <laughs> his greatest enemy? Does enemy? he come by and flip him the bird every time? <laughs> Screw you, Dracula! <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Matthews mentions his department is shut down and its members are being arrested by John Porter. Mm. Uh, I think they could have made more of this than just make it a throwaway line. Right. I mean, it's just like, oh, that's happening? I mean, if you don't, if you're not really listening to him, you'll just miss that. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, stuffy mustache British guy going, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like the Beatles, you know, the, the you know my name song. <laughs> but no, but, I mean, he mentions that, you know, that they're shutting the department down and, yeah. and arresting his men and they're kind of hiding out. I, I think they should have made it where they were on the run, run yeah. like and they were holed up in Van Helsing's house or mm-hmm. something. That would have added a little desperation to mm-hmm. the, 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 of course, it's the not going yeah. to matter here for too long because Matthews and Torrance are going to be dead here in a little bit, but Van Helsing tells of how he destroyed Dracula at St. Bartoff's Church two years ago mm-hmm. and that a disciple must have resurrected him through some kind of ritual. Murray posits that it might have been Chin Yang, but this is the first time we haven't seen Dracula actually reconstituted. No, he's just there. Yeah, yeah. he just, he just, he got re- revived somehow. Uh, we flash back to Van Helsing, still bloody after his gunshot wound, and he notes that St. Bartoff's is gone, and a new building belonging to D.D. Denham is in its place. Mm. So Dracula must have really liked this property, you know. Yeah, there, I, I, I wonder if it was because it was an old, um, unconsecrated consecrated church, if then that way, you know, maybe it helped grow his power. The satanic power yeah. or something, yeah, maybe. It's like... I really like the view from here. You know, Ooh, something like that. Why do you sound like Patrick Stewart? I don't know. I do sound like Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Engage. Yeah, that's I do. Sorry. My, my Christopher Lee and my Patrick Stewart sound alike, apparently. I, I, they do. I, I don't know. And I thought it was kind of interesting. If you look at D.D. Denim, if you're looking at it, if you say it real quick or look at it, it looks like Dead Man. Mmm. Ah. Mmm. A good, good point. Yeah. I so, like that. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Then we get Van Helsing's patented Vampire 101 class where he goes through in one way or another in every film. Sometimes he's recording it. Sometimes he's telling another person it. But Cushing's so damn good at it, we love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, On the ways to kill or deter a vampire, Torrance brings up cloves of garlic. Then Van Helsing mentions crucifix, the word of God is written in the Holy Bible, clear running water symbolizing purity, and it lives in mortal dread of silver, the hawthorn tree which provided Christ his crown of thorns, light of day, and Jessica brings up the obvious wooden stake through the heart. Remember all those? There'll be a quiz later. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in his copy of the script for the film, Cushing notes that he is puzzled a bit as to why Dracula wears his signature silver ring if he's averse to silver. Right. And it can hurt him, kill him. And at this point, I believe the ring is the one Lugosi wore in Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, loaned to Lee for the film's from the collection of Forrest J. Ackerman, the editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. So, then Van Helsing produces a a Venn diagram of evil showing that every major catastrophe the world has suffered has happened on dates with the devil's influence on November 23rd 
The Sabbath of the undead is the worst of them all, uh, where Satan is more powerful, uh, even more so than Walpurgis Night, he mentions, which Stoker wrote of in his Dracula novel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Walpurgis Night comes up in, in a lot of different horror fiction, and uh, it was, in, you know, it was a night that... Uh, that European folklore said was like the most evil of nights oh. when spirits, the dead were, you know, and evil spirits were about and things. So, uh, the others question why Dracula would want a barren earth with nothing but poison, dead humans. Van Helsing theorizes that the cursed immortal seeks final peace and wants to take the world with him. What did you think about this revelation? I mean, that's actually Van Helsing understands his foe. Yeah. I really think that's what it is. Yeah, I, I like that wrinkle, though. That, yeah. I mean, and, I, and we'll get to it later, but, I mean, that's one thing I really like about this film is that it, it really gets in the psychology mm-hmm. behind Dracula, and Van Helsing's the one to to figure it out. Yeah. You know, he knows him better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Knows him better than he knows himself. Right. In, in a lot of ways, so. It's meta in a way. It also ties back to Lee being fed up with the never-ending cycle of Dracula films. Right. <laughs> and his wish to end them. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, he's kind of like, he wants to be done with it, and so does Dracula, so. Uh, while the others are observing Pelham House, Peter props Cushing, sells how he knows how to make a bullet from a silver cross. Mm-hmm. So, hey. If he could cauterize his own vampire wound yep. in Brides, because that was his grandfa- great-grandfather or whatever. But still. Right. It's still Van Helsing, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> There's a prolonged action sequence where the biker goons kill Matthews and Torrance and shoot at, chase, and capture Murray and Jessica. It's nicely done, but it does feel like you've just wandered into a spy thriller and not a hammer horror film. It's like you went for popcorn and you got confused which theater to walk into. <laughs> Oh, did I want to walk into the latest James Bond movie? What? Yeah. Yeah, like, you know? <laughs> good, good point, yeah. Uh, again, why did they bring Jessica? Yeah, no. I know. You know, it's like, uh, at least train her, give her a gun, uh, a cross, some holy water, you know, make her look like the Frog Brothers or something if you're going to bring her yeah. with you, you know? I mean... Uh, meanwhile, Van Helsing gets an audience with D.D. Denham, and even his doorman is surprised. Yeah. He's like, dude, he sees nobody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he walks in, there's a large, bright light shining on him, and Denham is behind it in the shadows, but you can still tell it's, it's Chris. Chris- oh, yeah. It's Christopher Lee, yeah. I'm not really sure why they didn't hide him further. Honestly, if they just hinted at Dracula coming into Jane's room, Jane's room before, like the door busts open... And you don't see him, but then she looks all hey, and then the next scene she's a vampire. That would have been a lot more suspenseful as to whether Dracula was behind this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know his name's in the title and Lee's top build. Oh, his name's in the title, but that doesn't mean anything in Hammer movies. Mm-mm. Rides of Dracula, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, <laughs> Lee's top build. I get it. We know he's going to show up, but just waiting for them to reveal what we already know would have given this movie a little more oomph in the suspense yeah, department. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, it just would have helped. And, and Dracula's fake accent sounds a little like Bela Lugosi. Mm, I can see that. <laughs> Which, when I first watched this, I'm like, did they dub him with somebody else? But after I listened to it real closely, I, it's, I think it's Christopher Lee, and I didn't read anywhere else that it wasn't. You think maybe he had a cold or something? No, no, I think he was he was putting on an accent. Mm, okay. I think he was putting, well, I'm just asking. I think yeah. he was putting on a, a vaguely European, you know, accent of some kind. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, well, you know, he's British, obviously, but you know, it, it, I, I think it was him. So it, it just, but he does, he sounds a little Lugosi-esque. 
Uh, Denim tries to convince Van Helsing that his group developed the plague merely as a deterrent, and they are just trying to reset the course of the world as a new political regime. Uh, Their occult trappings are just means to be persuasive. Uh Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Why does he think Van Helsing would ever buy this? I don't know. It's just like the dance that they have to do. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, he's just, he's just toying with him at this point. Uh, Van Helsing knocks some paperwork over, and when he puts it back, he hides a Bible under there. Luckily, Denim slams his fist down and touches it, which burns him. But I guess Van Helsing could always just remove the papers, and the Bible would have kept him at bay. You know, like he probably couldn't. He probably been like, ah, you know, when he yeah. come across it. But but I'm sorry, but not very sleight of hand on. I mean. Dracula's heightened senses were not working because I mean he was just I mean that was I'm just like oh my gosh super obvious that he knocked it yeah. over yeah <laughs> what the heck dude uh, <laughs> Dracula he pulls the gun on him but uh, Dracula's all like foolish mortal bullets can't hurt me but when Van Helsing tells him it's silver he gets a little worried yeah the look on his face was like oh crap yeah <laughs> unfortunately his goons stop Van Helsing. They want Dracula to kill him, but he says, It can't be that simple, not for Van Helsing or his granddaughter. Does that sound a little better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's Patrick Stewart engaged. Yeah. One. Number one. I'm, I'm sorry, but you did, dude. Number one, take her to the altar. You know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most personal their conflict has been in just about the only time that these two actually carry on a conversation. I think it is. Yeah. yeah they, they, never, they usually don't, like, converse, no. you know. They're usually trying to kill each other. So. Uh, Chin Yang tries to pull the old help me escape Dracula ploy, just like Valerie Gaunt did in Horror Dracula with Murray here. Yeah. Uh, this movie does have quite a few callbacks to that first film. Uh-huh. So uh, It's not the last Dracula film Hammer made, though, but it's the last one Lee made. So She nearly seduces him, but those fangs, they break the spell every time, unless you're Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, they ain't got it. You just ain't got the hypnotic power. He throws a net on her, and rather conveniently, uh-huh. there's a hammer and stake in amongst the old bric-a-brac in the cellar. Uh, didn't you think that was a little convenient? <laughs> Again, I'm sorry, but they've obviously kept these vampire brides in there for some time. Yeah. Why on earth was anything like that in there? Why on earth did they have um, sprinklers in there? <laughs> what the crap? <laughs> I think they'd shut that off. Yeah. Well, you know, now maybe, just maybe. Uh-huh. I'm assuming the motorcycle gang is human. Uh-huh. Maybe the motorcycle gang kept some stakes down there just in case they had to stake some of them. You know, hey, man, put some stakes down there. One of them got Johnny last week, you know, or something like that or something. And maybe they kept a sprinkler in there. It's like, hey, hey, you calm down or I'll turn this on. You hear me? Quit hissing. Stop it. I'm going to turn this on. You know, it's just... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, uh. Vampire brides pop out of the coffin, but Murray manages to make a makeshift cross out of two stakes similar to Cushing with the candlesticks and Horror of Dracula as well. I like how Cole seemed exhausted by the time he makes it to the stairs. He looks at them as if to say, now what? What am I supposed to do with you? You know, right. just, Then he sees the spigot for the sprinkler system, as you said. And for the second film in a row, vampires are destroyed by showers. Mm-hmm. Like Johnny Alucard. But the crew goes cheap here because last time Johnny was smoking and he had lesions on his skin. Yeah. This time all we get is some grainy, washed out film effects. Mm-hmm. And 
it seems like Hammer's kind of cheaping out here. Did you get that feeling? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, it's like, man, we'll get That in. was in that movie you made me watch last night, too. Oh, yeah, the girl with the shower. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I made you watch last night. I suggested that we watch it, and you're like, okay. And then... Bam. Yeah, but again, you're not allowed to choose for a while. Okay. <laughs> Love you. I've been, if my buddy Grover Welch is listening to this, I've been put into the Grover Welch category. You're not allowed to pick the movies we rent again for a while. <laughs> Killing cars. I don't care if there was nude women in that. It sucked. You know, <laughs> teenage boys renting, you know, movies they shouldn't have been renting. But, uh, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> so Murray finds Jessica on the altar and leaves her there. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, I'll come back for you. Why doesn't he grab her and run for the door? I mean, he looks at a security camera and is apparently going to see about that. But he's already on camera. So what's it matter? Go for broken run. Uh-huh. You know, or do what Van Helsing does later. Throw up something through the window and go out the window uh-huh. so you don't go through the front door. Uh, Dracula and his acolytes bring Van Helsing to the altar room. We hear the car pull up. So I have to ask, was Dracula in the car? I know. The idea of... Dracula being in a car, I'm kind of like... Now, Duncan Rager had a car in the Monster Squad, but it is weird to think about Dracula driving a car. <laughs> and they'd have to make sure they couldn't go over any... Now, let me ask you this. Can he go over running water if he is conveyed by it? Yeah, I think he can uh, because he, you know, he travels in a ship. Oh, true. Okay, sorry, in, sorry. In the original book, The Demeter, and then... In the original Dracula, horror Dracula, he's in a carriage in the coffin going across there. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, he crossed... Wait a minute. I think if he crossed... Because he crossed the bridge when he went back into his castle in the first movie on his own. Mm. So, uh, that running water bit's always tricky. Yeah. It, it's it's tricky. Yeah. It's like, is it... If it's a pond, is he okay? It's like, if it's a, if it's a stream, it... Like, if, literally, if it's a creek, he's screwed. If it's a pond, it's fine. You know, Murray finds the security room, switches the monitors on, and sees the beginning of the ceremony that he left Jessica for. Yeah, but he doesn't see Dracula, who doesn't appear on film. Right. I think that's neat. I, you know, if you blink, you'll miss that. Yeah. And he's probably like, "Why are they just sitting there? Why are they looking at the altar? Nobody's up there." You know. Yeah. <laughs> Dracula informs Van Helsing that Jessica is to be his consort. He's really out to do this. This is two movies in a row. Mm-hmm. He tried this last time. So, uh, and of course they put Jessica in the, the standard white, you know, outfit, although she's not quite as, I don't know if Joanna Lumley's just not as chesty as right. she Stephanie wasn't Beecham, as, yeah. but it, yeah, I mean, she was spilling out all over in, yeah. in, that, in that movie. So, uh, Porter produces the vial and Dracula calls it the instrument of my final conquest. I wouldn't be surprised if Lee didn't write that line himself because that calls to Vlad the Impaler and the Dracula of the novel, who wasn't specifically Vlad the Impaler, but he was a conqueror like him. Right. You know, that's, you know, he was somebody like that. So, uh, when Dracula is describing what the plague will do, he says, in the days to come, you will pray for death. Release. And Lee conveys a wistful longing here. He's yeah, talking yeah. He's talking about himself as well as his victims. I mean, he may have done this film under protest, but he's giving it his all here. I mean, yeah. he, he gets this kind of far off look in his eye, like, I'd love to have release, you know, yeah. just like this sucks, you know, just like, like I mean, there's this look on his face, just like, I can't deal with this anymore, you know, so yeah, 
Uh, Van Helsing calls him out on it, asking him if this is his own death wish, and Dracula looks down, unable to really respond, contemplating what his mortal enemy is saying to him. And I love the fact, like we said, that Van Helsing understands him better than any would could. Oh, yeah. Especially his toadies. Yeah. I mean, he gets him. He knows, you know, through what his family has fought him over the last century and a half at this, or, or century anyway, what's going on. Then Dracula drops the bomb that his four horsemen will not survive his man-made apocalypse, but will instead be the initial carriers, including Van Helsing, who now replaces Keeley. So these guys were thinking they were going to get, like, immortality mm-hmm. and power, and no, you're just going to be, you know, patient number zero, one, two, and three. You know, basically. But here's the problem. Okay. Here's the problem with this whole thing. This might be a little bit early, but okay, this is a fast acting plague, everything else. I mean, literally the first victim, he's dead, gone, dusted, melted before he even gets out the door. How's he going to spread it? <laughs> well, now, if he touched the other guys... Oh, you think it works too fast? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Well, he burned up, though. I mean, we're jumping ahead No, 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 bit. no. His, he was all bubonic. I mean... I know, but he was still alive. The fire's what killed him. But he was in pain and agony and everything, but he... How I mean, would he even have been able to... I mean, if it works that fast, I'm sorry, but if somebody would come up to me and looking like that, I'm like... Whoa, let me get, hang on, I'm, I'm going to help you, but hang on. <laughs> you know, because I mean, how many, yeah. how many kids have come up to me and, you know, like I had a kid, you know, just last week, they fell off the slide and they had blood. I'm like, hang on, hold on just a second. And I, I mean, I carry gloves in my pocket when I'm at work yeah. and I'm like, okay, you know. Yeah. But yeah. that, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it. I get what you mean. It's almost too accelerated to spread. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I get, but I mean, we see in a in a minute that Porter, the guy that's infected, you know, try he keeps reaching around and everybody's backing up from him because they know if he touches them, they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I but it, yeah, it's yeah. It would seem like if they just like anybody that's got it, just contain them, they're going to die quick before they have a chance to spread it too far. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know? Uh, these guys aren't too happy with this, to say the least. They protest, but Dracula shuts them down with that commanding voice of his. Uh, so, yeah, but they're not done protesting quite yet. Uh, the men are played by Richard Matthews as Porter, probably best known for playing Time Lord Razalon on Doctor Who. Patrick Barr played Lord Carradine and was also in The Avengers, drink, and in <laughs> Octopussy, another James Bond movie. Uh, Octopussy, Octopussy, Octopussy. You know, that's Lou. <laughs> Louis Jordan says that in that movie. I just crack up every time. Every time. I just, I mean, it's like, they named that movie that. No, they knew what they were doing. I'm sorry. You know, it's like, okay. 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 Sir Ian Fleming, we know what you're into. All right. Uh, Lockwood West, who plays Freeborn, appeared with Cushing in an early 50s BBC production of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay. So, which I know you absolutely loathe Pride and Prejudice. I do. Yeah, I know. I know you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but that's okay. I'm, I'm a straight shooter, and this is what I think. And all of those, all of that body of work would have been done and condensed in less than twenty pages if people just said, "Hey, this is what I think." Oh, this is what I think. Boom, done. <laughs> Porter tries to rebuff, but Dracula gives him the hypnotic stare, and with the clock ticking down to midnight, he involuntarily crushes the vial. With the plague in his hand, it's actually pretty chilling, mm-hmm. especially when Dracula briefly smiles. Yes, That's I a, mean that that was chilling. That was like, 
Dracula has control. It really brings home the fact that he controls men's minds. Yeah. That yeah. was... More so know, than any film, really. Yeah, he really does. I mean, that I, that part, that particular scene, I'm like, oh, he is really scary. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, Dracula as a political influencer is a pretty novel idea, and it's one that resonates in this time <laughs> when messaging is constantly being manipulated. Right. And the fact that he pulled his four horsemen from different venues of society. Yeah, and they kind of match know? the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah. too, of course, yeah. you know. So yeah. I, you know? Yeah. That's clever. Yeah, it was it was clever. Yeah. A guard walks in on Murray who is just put out and tired and says, "Are you open to any deals?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, he tried. Uh, of course a fight ensues and it's a pretty realistic nasty fight. Murray gets kicked in the privates and it looks real. I mean, he looks like he's about to throw up. And I, I, yeah, that's what you do when you get kicked when you get in the private. So, <laughs> wouldn't know. Uh, the goon gets odd jobbed with his metal pipe going into the electrical equipment, equipment frying him, and starts a fire. Mm-hmm. So you know, just like odd job and Goldfinger. Back to Goldfinger. See a lot of James Bond in this movie too. Of course, it's British. Uh, Porter rips his shirt open to show green boils all over his skin as it rots. It's pretty gross, but I think the actor is selling it even more so than the makeup. I mean, yeah. he, looks, he's, he looks like he's just... Shows agony. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Carradine and Freeborn run out when the fire starts, so I guess they survive. I know. Did you not catch that? And, I mean, it made me wonder, what are they going to do now? And, I mean, are they going to get caught because how are they going to prove their case against them? Yeah. You know? And are they going to, you know, it makes you wonder, are they going to, like try to discredit Van Helsing and all them. Right. You know, it's like, hmm, yeah. Uh, Murray runs in, and Van Helsing tells Murray to grab Jessica. But why does Dracula let him? I mean, is it the fire? Uh, does, does that, like, is that a vampire deterrent as well? No, they never mentioned that. Yeah, I know. I don't think, but it's like, you know, he just kind of, he just kind of stands around a little bit in this scene. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't really make sense. But again, I, I think it does make sense, because he's like, wait a minute, this might be my chance for it to be done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he resists a little bit. Yeah, I I think so, too. I was going to get to that as well. Dracula lets him go, but not Van Helsing. In a line that is purely Lee, paraphrased from Stoker, he utters his last great line as the character, My revenge has spread over centuries, and it's just begun! Which, you know, only Christopher Lee could, you know... Sell that, Sell something like that. If some weak actor said that, you'd be like, yeah, right. You know, but when he does it, like, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Van Helsing smashes a window with a chair and ducks out. And, of course, Dracula follows. Oh, yeah. But Murray runs back in, I guess, to see about Van Helsing. Because he runs runs back in. Basically, it's so we can witness that Porter is burning to to death and the plague is taken care of. So Uh, Now, the ending of this film has been criticized for years for being somewhat anticlimactic. Dracula walks into a bush. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite that simple, but you do have to wonder why he didn't go around it or turn into a bat and fly over it or something. Like you said, maybe he wanted this to end this way. I, I think he wanted it to end, but at the same time, he's actually has a foe that gets him, that understands him. and But at the same time, that whole thing, the other side of hate is, you know, pure obsession and you know that's not necessarily love but obsession and he's like i'm obsessed he's gonna end with me yeah and to get to him any way he can yeah and cushing uses that well excuse me van helsing uses that to get lee to come after him that obsession yeah yeah 
Yeah, Lee said he actually got cuts and scrapes from this because it was a real hawthorn bush. Uh, the hawthorn bush was mentioned in Stoker's novel too. I believe it's probably why he agreed to do it. Mm. Uh, it's it's not. I think this is one of the only things where the hawthorn bush comes up. As you pointed out, uh, visually, when Dracula falls after mm-hmm. he comes through the bush, he's got a crown of thorns. Yeah. And he's even got stigmata on his hands from the thorn, like the nails yeah. that Christ had in his hands. And he's upside down. Yeah. So it's like the Antichrist. Antichrist. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I didn't even really think about that until I was watching it again from those. I'm like, oh, he's upside down. Like, yeah. like a satanic cross, you know. I was like, well, you know. And then, of course, you know, Van Helsing reaches over to the fence and gets a stake and stakes him Christopher Lee for the last time. And usually Dracula actually doesn't die by stake. I mean, in the last one, it was like a shovel yeah. down through yeah. him. So uh, I love how they give him different contacts when Van Helsing stakes him. His eyes like turn kind of like silvery. Yeah. It's like unusual. Usually, of course, they're blood red and everything. So uh, the dissolve into a skeleton and ash is really well done in this one. I mean, it's really, mm-hmm. it's very, it's a prolonged scene, but it's really well done. The, the lapse fade is really nice. It, it's one of the best we've seen in the series. And just like the first film, all that's left is his ring, which Van Helsing picks up. And what did that mean where he picks it up? What do you think? I mean, does it was it? I almost think it was kind of like, you know, like how Batman collects a trophy when he thinks he vanquishes one of his foes. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, I mean, were they thinking a new actor would finally come in to replace Lee as he almost they almost did previous times, you mm-hmm. know, or... Or, you know, was Van Helsing thinking it was really over? I mean... That's what I got out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what did you think of this one? Honestly, it's one of those cases. I mean, you know that the Dracula AD 1972, that one, to me, they should have taken the 1970 Dracula AD, made it the first half hour of this one. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe made this a little bit tighter film and made it maybe one two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's parts of the first one that are very important. Yeah. But I like how it loops together. Uh, but I like the feeling of this movie better. And I think there's parts of that first movie that need to be in this, but I didn't. That first movie could have been condensed to like maybe the first half hour of this one. Yeah. I remember you, you saying I mean? that this was kind of slow at first because yeah. it's, it's a slow burn at first. That's what I'm saying. And they could have made it tighter. I think they could have combined the two films into one. I, after the, the bombastic nature of the last one and the over-the-top hip direction, this is very subdued. Yeah. Uh, and it's by the same writer and director, which is weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, you almost feel like it's like different creators come in and like, well, we're going to do a different this thing. This would take, yeah. Yeah, but it's no, it's the same people. Uh, it feels more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, I really think that you could have taken that, that first one, yeah. made it maybe the first half hour or so, and yeah. then combined it with this one and made a total running time of two hours. Yeah, I, I don't think this one's quite as fun as its predecessor. It, it's a more, I, I think it I think it holds together overall better. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's quite as fun, because that one is fun, more fun. There's more just straight up hammer, you know, more hammer to it to the point. Although I do think Lee and Cushing are both honestly given more to do here, and they do wonders with it, of course. Oh, of course. Uh, you know, uh, apparently Lee did not care for the, he felt like, you know, uh, they've turned Dracula into Blofeld, a combo of Blofeld and Howard Hughes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I mean, they kind of did, but I mean, it, it gives Dracula something more to do than skulk around an old church like he did in the last mm-hmm. one. So, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, 
it, it kind of in a way feels like what um, Universal did with Dracula in Abner Costello Meet Frankenstein because, you know, suddenly Dracula is like kind of this mad scientist supervillain trying to revive the Frankenstein monster and use him. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm not just some predator out, you know, uh, you know, killing people just to get blood. I'm no, I'm, I'm actually got an end game in mind. Mm-hmm. I've got a plan, you know? So I, I kind of like that at some point Dracula's like, I'm tired of doing this, th- this way. I'm, I'm going to do something different, you know? So I, I kind of like that. Uh, but unfortunately the gas was almost out of the tank for hammer. Warner brothers decided to not release this film in the U S and instead sold it off to a small distributor named dynamite who didn't put it out until 1978 under the title Dracula and his vampire bride. And for some reason, this movie is in some kind of legal loophole. It is in the public domain, or at least versions of it are. And you can find it on just about every one of those Mill Creek 50 horror movie things. That's where I first watched it. Okay. Now, we watched it on HBO Max for this. It's on HBO Max right now if anybody's got HBO Max and wants to watch it. Uh, But you can honestly probably go find it on YouTube or any of those streaming services that have free movies. Uh, It's probably out there. You know, and it's 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 probably the usual cut that's got all the gore and boobs in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Hammer had tried to ride the wave of satanic films with this one, leaning into elements of the last. But now it was much that aspect was much more popular thanks to the smash success of The Exorcist earlier in 1973. Right. Cushing would play a Van Helsing one more time when Hammer teamed with Hong Kong studio Shaw Brothers to make the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires the following year. Lee did not return, and Dracula was played by John, John Forbes Robertson from The Vampire Lovers in horrible makeup. I'm sorry, but we are not doing that one. <laughs> you made me watch that thing. One, no, I'm not talking about it. You can't make that. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to make you cover anything you don't want to. We're not, yeah, doing, we're not doing that. Dr. Fives again, though. Uh, that film was more imaginative and fun in some ways, but it really is the last gasp of of true hammer. Warner's didn't release that one stateside either. Thank you. That Dynamite did years later. Mm. Uh, Lee would return in 1976 for another round as a Satanist in classic Hammer's final horror, the controversial to The Devil, A Daughter, which I have never seen, uh, which was really trying for that exorcist money. Hammer was essentially bankrupt and out of business by the time the film was released, more or less. Oh, so, okay. yeah, I mean, they were there. They are almost. They were... Just about done. So, uh, but luckily, we've got several Lee Dracula films to still discuss here on House of Frankenstein, and I'm sure we eventually will. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, will be back after these promos and return with an uncanny comic. I'm Al from New Zealand, and I'm Stephen from Maryland, USA. We are Hemorama. Welcome to our new podcast, Enter Freely and of Your Own Will. Part of the multi-award-nominated Diecast Movie Podcast, Hammerama is a wide look at the world of hammer horror from either side of the globe. Each month, we will throw a die to decide which category from the film vault of Hammer we are going to discuss. The Dracula, Frankenstein, or Mummy Cycles, science fiction, prehistory, or the experimental 1970s. We will cast our international eyes across, then and now, reviews of the movie. Its place in the Hammerverse. Our encounters with the stars. A film poster critique. And unusual associated merchandise. 
So join us for our bite-sized discussion of Hammer's gory glories, stitched together from both ends of the earth. Hammerama is a proud part of the Diecast Movie Podcast. Okay, we're back, and we dodged Vampire Laverne in the comic crypt to grab Uncanny X-Men number 159, which was cover dated July 1982, on sale April 6, 1982. On this cover by Bill Sienkiewicz, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Kitty Pride cower in the shadow of Storm while Wolverine bears his claws. In the color-hold surprint background, we see the face of Storm laughing with vampire fangs. What did you think of this one? I had to, I mean... I was honestly, I was reading this on my phone and I had to real, I, I don't know. It was okay, but I think they could have done more with it. Yeah, I, I think the figure work is nice and the surprint is stunning, but I think you have to stare at it a bit to get why the X-Men are cowering. If, yeah. if it wasn't for Storm's unique headdress in the shadow, I don't think you'd get that at all. It, it's a pretty image, but I don't I don't really know if it really... And the surprint's almost kind of hard to read. Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's like it's 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 almost too creative for its own good. Mm-hmm. Basically, what I'm trying to say. Okay, the story was Night Screams. Chris Claremont was the author. Bill Sienkiewicz, the pen- guest penciler. Bob Wyacek was the inker. Tom Orzachowski was the letterer. Glennis Ween was the colorist. Louise Jones, later Louise Jones Simonson, was the editor, and Jim Shooter was the editor in chief. From an adventure, the X-Men, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Kitty Pride drop by the Greenwich Village apartment of their friend, Misty Knight. There, they meet Misty's new roommate, model Harmony Young. Harmony helps Kitty and Storm find some civilian clothes to wear, and the two leave to visit with Kitty's parents. Although Kitty enjoys her visit, Aurora never returns after dropping her off. Instead, the next time the X-Men see their teammate, she's hospitalized, the victim of a savage attack which nearly severed her jugular vein. And, of course, Aurora is Storm. I should have put that in the notes, but I didn't. So, uh, Despite this, Aurora is ready to leave the hospital when Logan, a.k.a. Wolverine, duh, and Peter, a.k.a. Colossus, arrive. They take her back to Misty's apartment, where she assures everyone she's fine. But that night, she is unable to resist the night calling to her. She opens the bay windows and says, Enter freely and of your own will. When Kitty returns a few days later, she finds her teammates concerned about Aurora's dwindling health. Kitty thinks how pale and old her beautiful friend looks and points out the scarf she wears, monogrammed with the letter D. Aurora begs Kitty to close the curtains, telling her the light hurts her. When Kitty shows concern, her usually docile friend grabs her by the throat and demands she leaves. That night, Aurora is visited once more by her nocturnal suitor, who reveals himself to be none other than Dracula. Before he can bite her again, Kitty phases into the room, a crucifix in her hand. 
Dracula is surprisingly not phased by this, since the Christian symbol is powerless in the hands of a Jew. When he attempts to throttle her, Kitty's Star of David pendant does burn his hand, warding him off. Kitty reaches out to Aurora, who backhands her and tells her not to follow her, as she and Dracula fly off into the night. The other X-Men rush in, but some find Kitty's story hard to believe. Despite all the weird supervillains that they've fought over the years, I don't get it, um, Logan does agree to track Storm, and the team suits up and heads out into the fog-shrouded night. In Central Park near Belvedere Castle, they find the Prince of Darkness waiting for them. He commands an army of rats and wild dogs to aid in his attack, but he is more than enough to handle the X-Men. At Nightcrawler's suggestion, Wolverine makes a cross with two of his adamantium blades, but with no faith to back it up, the gesture is useless. However, the Christian Nightcrawler temporarily weakens the count when he makes his own makeshift crucifix with a pair of sticks. Dracula uses his command of the weather to send lightning after Nightcrawler, who runs from it, teleporting any time it comes near him. Kitty finds Dracula in Aurora's resting place in the castle, but her friend is waiting for her. Kitty tries to understand how Aurora can have fangs and vampiric powers without having died first. She threatens to stake her, but instead begs her friend to fight off Dracula's influence. She drops the stake, waiting to see if Aurora has the will to spare her. Nightcrawler tries to turn Dracula's lightning against the Count, but it instead takes out the heroes. Aurora arrives, and Dracula tells them he plans to slay her friends. She then changes into Storm and blasts the vampire with her own lightning, decreeing she'll never turn on her teammates. The two battle through the sky into an uptown restaurant where Dracula takes a woman hostage. Storm drops the improvised stake she planned to use and tells Dracula she will not join him or allow him to shed any more innocent blood. Dracula is surprisingly okay with this, telling Storm that unlike the other women he has made his slave, she is worthy of him. He will not force her to join him out of respect for her. He flies off with Storm vowing to stop him. But Dracula warns her if they meet again, it will be on his terms. Storm flies to meet her friends in the dawn of a new day, and Kitty knows her friend is cured. Storm tells the team that Kitty's bravery in putting her faith and love paid off and cured her of Dracula's control. Uh, There's also some subplots about Professor X being near death's door again, and Mm -hmm. Cyclops, Havoc, and their father Corsair hanging out uh, while Polaris cooks some dinner. But we really don't care about that for for that. So, yeah, so we're we're not going to talk about that. Oh, so what did you think about this one? I liked it, except for the ending. It was too, you know, wrapped up, not tidy in a bow. They're like, we reached our page count. We're done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what this feels like. Yeah. Uh, I liked it, too. This is uh, this is Claremont adapting Dracula with the X-Men filling out the cast. But, hey, it works. You know, so. Uh, I do wonder why everything has to happen at Misty Knight's apartment. Uh, was the X-Mansion Xavier School too far away from Central Park or something for the action to take place there? Or? I have no idea. I don't, it's in like Westchester, New York, right? So maybe it wasn't close enough to the city. I don't know. Uh, it's odd that we don't see the attack on Aurora, but I guess they were doing a better job of surprising us with Dracula than the film did right. <laughs> that we discovered. Uh, we just see her body in an alleyway after Nightcrawler gets off the phone with Kitty. This is early Bill Sienkiewicz in his Neil Adams clone days, but it looks great. I'm a bit curious why everyone in the hospital is turned around shocked when Logan and Peter are talking to the doctor. Is it Logan's haircut? I, maybe so. Did I you get know. that? They were like almost like they're looking around like, what's going on? It's like they're not in their X-Men uniforms. Oh, yeah. And, and the doctor. Can we talk about the doctor, the female doctor? Sure. What the heck? I mean, they've got something going on. It looks like a stray pencil mark that somebody accidentally inked across her face, and she constantly has these goggles that are up here on her forehead. And I'm like, why? 
Oh, I didn't even notice. Let me let me look at this. Let me see what you're talking about. See, look. Look at that. It looks like a stray pencil mark that somebody inked. It totally changes the look of her face. Oh, yeah. So she didn't even... And she's got short bangs. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. At all. Yeah. It's like she's got her glasses up top, but it looks like... Yeah, she does look like she's got goggles on. Yeah. I'm I mean, that doesn't make... Dr. O'Hara. I don't know if she's important later on or not. I mean, and it totally makes the whole look of her face off. Yeah. You know, like it makes her look angry. And I'm like, why? Yeah. I don't, it, it doesn't suit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. That was, you know. No, I, I hadn't noticed it. Yeah. We do get a, a get a glimpse of Simkevich's, uh later work uh, on the page where Aurora opens the window. The portrait there is more like his later avant-garde style. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see it kind of popping through. Uh, she has pupils a lot in this story. I didn't think she ever did. I don't know. I'm not enough. Of I'm not. I I haven't read enough X Men over the years. I mean, I've read them here and there, but I haven't read it consistently enough to know. I just wasn't a big X Men kid. Um, I read it some, and I've went back and read a lot of the uh, you know Claremont Byrne stuff. But I and you know I I don't remember her having pupils that often. Maybe you know some artists give Batman pupils occasionally when others don't. So maybe it's just the artistic thing. Is it a bit surprising that the team is just letting Storm die? What's up with that? Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they immediately take her somewhere else to get help or call somebody in or, you know, what on earth? If only we knew a scientific genius that was a friend of ours and used to be a founding team member like Hank McCoy, the Beast. <laughs> right. Who figured, who, you know, who knows enough about mutant, you know, in, in medicine to like, he tried to cure himself and then... Turned himself into the blue furry beast. You know? Right. So it's like, you know, maybe that's not a really good track record, but he does know, <laughs> you know, he does know about, you know, how to do that stuff. Storm is clearly Lucy here from the Dracula mm-hmm. novel. Yeah. Uh, when Dracula is revealed, Sienkiewicz has given him a bit of a makeover as compared to how Gene Colan drew him in the uh, classic Tomb of Dracula series a few years before. That book had been canceled for several years by this point. I don't know how often he reappeared in between those two books. Okay. I think there was a Tomb of Dracula black and white magazine after that, but then after that, I don't. it didn't last that long. Um, so I don't know. He's wearing a poofy shirt, uh, a vest, his cape, of course, tall leather boots, and he now has a Van Dyke with his mustache. And I love the bit where Sienkiewicz frames his fangs in that larger panel. Yeah, you know, that, that, that was a nice she's touch. She's like throwing her head back, oh yeah, bite me. And he's like, it's like, like there's a little frame around his teeth. Which is, which is neat. Uh, Kenny then shows up as a vampire hunter, complete with a slouch fedora hat. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is, this is a year before the popular manga Vampire Hunter D, who has a hat like that, was okay. published. It's a full decade before Bram Stoker's Dracula, where Anthony Hopkins, as Van Helsing, wears such a hat. And it's two decades before uh, Hugh Jackman played Van Helsing with a hat like that. Oh. So, I don't know... I. Why does maybe she, Kitty Pride's the one who started that? Maybe, maybe she there did. it is. <laughs> now it is a year after Indiana Jones, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. So I don't know if that's got anything to do with it. I don't know why it would, but he's not a vampire hunter. But anyway, but Kitty brought a cross, and she's Jewish, mm-hmm. so it does nothing. This may be where I remember seeing that happen. But it is a nice touch. Yes, you it is. You know, it is a very nice touch, I think. I do, too. Uh, you know, and her Star of David... Because the cross is not her symbol of faith. The Star of David, which is, does work. Exactly. It protects her. Yes. Against Dracula, which I really like. And, I, I mean, uh, you know, we, we've, we've got to talk about 
Dracula has risen from the grave because that's the the film where the atheist tries to stake Dracula, and in that one, you're supposed to pray when you stake him. Oh, okay. and Dracula just like uh uh-uh, uh and pulls it out, which Lee did not like. But I mean, they they set that rule up in that film, and gotcha. he's an atheist; he has no faith, and so it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so we we really got that's a good one. We need to cover that at some point. But yeah, I brought it up multiple times. I just I love those little nuances of va- vampire lore and rules yeah. and everything. Yeah. You know, Dracula and Stormfly off. Why doesn't Wolverine believe Kitty? And I, I'm sorry. When we were doing the synopsis, I, was, I scoffed at that. But I, I, why? Why? I mean, you've got, like you like you were talking about, there's the Hulk, there's the Wendigo. And I mean, it's, you know, supernatural, off-the-wall stuff. Why not Dracula? Right. I mean, you know, there's a... They do it on a monthly basis. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when they get another title, they'll do it twice a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, Wolverine debuted fighting the Hulk and the Wendigo, mm-hmm. who is based on a much more obscure legend, legend yeah. than than a vampire. So if a Wendigo can be real, then why can't a vampire? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, they, so they encounter Dracula, they fight, but he pones the X-Men. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of He's these. He's not even breaking a sweat. No, uh-uh. Do dead people sweat? I don't know. Uh, a, a lot of these panels show up in Dracula's Ohatmu entry in okay. the uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe, the deluxe edition. So when the girls get to the uh, the Book of the Dead, mm-hmm. then they'll see this a lot of this artwork in, on Ohatmu or not, which is a good show you should listen to if you don't. Uh, <laughs> Wolverine says, I've seen the movie, Self. I know what to do. No, now that I'm trying to sound like the cartoon Wolverine. So oh, okay. Uh, he tries to make a cross with his claws, but it doesn't work. Again. Get yourself to church, Logan. That's <laughs> Get you some religion, because it ain't working. <laughs> but Kurt Nightcrawler is very religious. Yes. So it does. Him and Daredevil should be vampire hunters. Together. Perfect. Yeah, just just yeah. like go through and kill them off. It's not too long after these stories in Doctor Strange, where Doctor Strange vanquishes all vampires. And for several years at Marvel, there were no vampires. Really? Yeah. I, I don't really know why somebody at Marvel's like, yeah, we shouldn't have Dracula and vampires. It's like, again, you got all this other stuff. What's wrong with vampires? But I, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. Maybe they, I, I think Roger Stern wrote that. So unless it was an editorial decree by Jim Shooter, maybe he was just pissed off at Marv Wolfman for being successful over at DC with New Teen Titans and right. Crisis. He was like... Oh, screw Marv Wolfman. He wrote Dracula. Get rid of <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. But oh my. there's been pettier things that have happened in comics. I don't know. Anyway, Kitty splashes some holy water in the coffin she finds. I mean, that's a good... That, yeah. That's something Peter Cushing would do. Good on you, Kitty. Yeah. But aren't isn't holy water from Christian, Christ, Christian churches? So could uh, she... Use you you see what I mean? Yeah, maybe yeah, because it's all about baptism and yeah, yeah and that's that's a total New Testament thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I'm sorry. She might be able to use that. Yeah, you're right. She maybe she shouldn't based on that. So they don't really explain why Storm is nearly vampiric. I guess in the novel Dracula, Lucy was too, and in different movie adaptations, mm-hmm. I particularly think of Bram Stoker's Dracula right. because those parts of the movie are really close to the book mm-hmm. minus the sappy love story stuff but uh, <laughs> that's good it's it's good but it shouldn't be in a movie called Bram Stoker's Dracula it should be called <sighs> Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula that he ripped off of Jack Palance uh, Dan Curtis Dracula which Dan Curtis robbed from his own Barnabas Collins that's what it should be called <laughs> 
Okay, anyway, continue. <laughs> but, you know, Lucy had vampiric, like she had fangs, she tried to bite right. you know, her suitors before she would die and came back as a vampire. Mm-hmm. But So I can buy that, but they make kind of a big deal out of it. Like, they're going to explain it. Right. Like, it, is it something to do with the fact that she's a mutant? Right. See, that's what I kept thinking. Oh, that's what they're going to so There's going to be yeah. at least a panel about it. And it didn't. No, they didn't. And I mean, maybe they do in the sequel. I don't know. But it, it's it's like Claremont forgot to explain it. Or, or like I said, ran out of page ran count. Ran out of page count. <laughs> I thought this was a double-sided issue. No. Oh, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, but I already wrote this text and you know delete it yeah <laughs> I was kind of confused what happened to Dracula when li- when the lightning hit him because you know Nightcrawler j- like basically bamfed in front of him and laid- made the lightning hit Dracula but it didn't hurt him it took the the three male X-Men out which was kind of weird I, I, I don't really electricity understand. is evil I, it, you're right electricity is evil that's right <laughs> <laughs> call back to tell you cast uh, the storm, then storm of Dracula as a man bat type mm-hmm. looking thing, basically, uh, fight across the sky and land in a restaurant and their Yelp rating just went to hell. Uh-huh. Yeah. So TripAdvisor. Yeah, no. I was going to say they're TripAdvisor. Yeah. Yeah. Going. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, the ending is very, say what? And, and I had the same thing in my notes. We ran out of pages. That's what I smell. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it is. I get that Dracula respects her. But why wouldn't he just bite the woman to spider? He's going to kill again anyway. It's not like he's not going to kill anybody until he sees Storm again. It seems a bit out of character for for any Dracula. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Storm reveals all, although she really came close to to biting Kitty. Uh, it was the fact that you know she had faith in the in in her friend and the love they share that saved her, mm-hmm. which was a nice touch. So what are your final thoughts about this? Well, basically, like I said at the beginning, I liked this, the novel, but it was just, I mean, not novel. I liked the comic, but it tr- truly was page count. I really think that's what it came down to. Yeah. Uh, it, it was fun. It's a little dialogue heavy as Claremont is, but hey, at least you felt like you read something. Mm-hmm. You know, you read a comic that took you a while. It had some meat on its bones. Uh, the characterization, of course, is top notch. The X-Men are living, breathing characters at this point under Claremont. He knows them in and out. But Kitty really shines here. Well, and I like the fact that, yes, she is a contributing member. She is a respected member of the team. But at the same time, they still, she's still a kid. Well, she was fairly new still at this point. You but know? that's what I'm saying, you yeah, know. That's why she's she's wearing the, like, the original X-Men suits, like, the, like they're training, you know. Right. That's why she's wearing that. And I, at this point, I guess she was just going by Kitty Pride because later she's goes by Sprite and then Ariel and then Shadowcat and you know she just uh, she's had like like three or four code names. Okay. So yeah, I know most people just think it's Kitty Pride, you know. Uh so yeah. Uh, the art is very nice and very dynamic. Uh you know, it's there's a couple of little things that are a little hard to follow, but for the most part it's Oh yeah, it's, it's clean. Yeah. It's good and clean. It's good and solid. And like I said, there's a sequel in X-Men Annual number 6 by the same creative team and maybe we'll cover that down the line. Okay. So I'd be down for that. Yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of the House of Frankenstein. As always, a huge shout out to our friend Terry O'Malley, a.k.a. Ward Hill Terry, or Ward Hills Have Eyes Terry, for the House of Frankenstein theme. Follow Terry's band, Stop Calling Me Frank, on their Facebook page. Check out the show notes for more info on how to do so. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast.
Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, Neil Whitney, Jeff Owens of the Classic Horrors Club podcast, and David Capoon, who specifically support our JLU cast. I don't know if you guys are listening, but if so, you are in charge of feeding the chained up vampire brides. Good luck. And hope that there's sprinklers in the basement. That's right. Just remember where that knob is. If things get out of hand, just, you know, say, hey, Laverne, calm down. If you don't calm down, I'm turning this on. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be back here next month as we return to the house of Franklin Stein, unless you're chicken. Ha ha. Hint, <laughs> hint. See you then. Bye. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises Worldwide. He is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue my mommy and daddy. <laughs> Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Supermates and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. Oh, please, let's get out of here.